Are you struggling to create engaging content for your B2B brand? Let Podcast Town help. Our expert services will help you develop a successful content marketing strategy, making your brand stand out and increase revenue. With our guidance, you'll create quality content that resonates with your audience and builds brand loyalty. Visit our website at podcasttown.net to learn more and to get started today. We help you launch, grow, and maximize. Are you a business owner or entrepreneur looking to take your business skills to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Enterprise Now Show. Prepare to be inspired, motivated, and transformed. And now, your host, LZ Flinnard. Can I get it? Oh, yeah. What's up, Enterprisers? Welcome to episode 109 of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we educate, motivate, inspire, and transform business owners and entrepreneurs into success. That is what we do. We help folks launch, grow, and maximize. In this episode, I talk with Bill Balderas of Futurity. Futurity uses data analytics and marketing technology expertise to help companies make smarter, faster, deeper connections with their customers. Bill talks about predictive modeling and how it can be used to market your business. We also talk about, statistically speaking, how your business will fail. All right, let's dig in. All right, Bill, can I get an oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Nice, nice. First of all, Bill, let me say thank you for taking the time out to talk with me. I know you're very busy. You have a ton of things going on. So the fact that you are taking some time out to talk with me, I certainly do appreciate that. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you for having me on. One of the first things that I always like to ask right off the bat is for you to tell us about yourself. Now, when I say that, I mean, feel free to go all the way back to the day you were born, or you can start more current day. Tell us about yourself. Great. Excellent. Well, I always like to preface by saying that I was born at a very young age, <laughs> but beyond that, from a tiny little town in Northwest Ohio called St. Mary's, grew up very rural, kind of blue collar, working class town, learned a lot of great kind of Midwestern values there. I ended up in college kind of by accident. I went to Bowling Green State University, got a great education, um, but was really down to kind of the last moments of my senior year high school before I even ended up in college. And due to my impeccable sense of timing, I graduated with a journalism degree in 1997. So just about this thing, time, this thing called the internet took off and newspapers started not taking off. I, I walked out of the, the halls of Bowling Green with this degree and not sure exactly what I was going to do. And, you know, something really interesting happened. I fell into the technology world. I could write because I was a journalist. And even in 1997, internet companies needed content. So on a purely unqualified recent graduate, I entered my first job at a dot-com startup here in Columbus. It was the very early stages of that world. I remember our CEO one time just defining VCs as virtual capitalists because someone had to correct him because it was all kind of new to us. And I spent about 10 years in that startup world here in Columbus. I, I worked for four different companies. I had great mentors in those companies. They brought me into meetings. They let me understood how the VC and the investment world and the technology world worked. They took me into the, the high pressure meetings. They really gave me just wonderful exposure and support. 
And then in 2006, I went to my boss and told her, hey, I love what I do and I want to do more of it and I want to start my own company. And she said, great, I'll be your first client. Um, and then my previous two bosses became clients number two and three and we were, we were off to the races. That company was called Webbed Marketing. And although today in, in 2018, anyone you ask if they know SEO and if they know social media, I think we're just kind of born knowing it today. And it's not terribly original or unique. But in 2006, there weren't a lot of people doing it. There was really not anyone doing it kind of between Chicago and New York. So when we were four and five people working out of Panera Breads and libraries, we were winning Fortune 500 accounts. And we were competing at a level that we probably had no business competing at. We had regional agencies all across the Midwest that were outsourcing all their digital work to us. These were smart agencies that knew a lot about outdoor and print and radio and had no idea what SEO or social media was. And keeping in mind in 2006, social media meant blogs, Wikipedia, Twitter was new, YouTube was new, Facebook had just opened up behind colleges, and the founders of Snapchat and Instagram were still in middle school. So this was super early days. We got there early. We made an impact. We won big accounts. We never took on any outside investors. We never had, had an outside board, debt-free from kitchen table from the beginning. Sold that company in about five years. We doubled revenue, double employee size every year. And the company that acquired us uh, was called Fathom, based out of Cleveland, Ohio. And they owned and operated about five different agencies in the digital space. I entered into agreement with Fathom to form a, a joint venture called Fathom Healthcare, where we continue to do digital marketing analytics strictly in the healthcare space. Grew that business very quickly. By the end, we had about 20 healthcare systems from coast to coast, including all the, the very top tier hospitals in the country. About 20 systems, about 900 physical locations were part of that. And then I exited my shares of that about three years ago to start Futurity. And you know, I became a venture, an angel investor. Then myself, I started uh, investing in about 20 companies since then. Love to be an advisor, love to be a board member. And I'd get up in the morning and I'd maybe go fish for a little bit. And I'd work out and I had an office for Futurity and a domain name, but we really didn't know exactly what we were going to do. And I say we, it was really me and an occasional grad student just doing general consulting. And after about a, a couple of years of that, I decided it's, it's time to get serious about this and see what we can do. And so I just went out and started talking to people. I talked to all my contacts. I talked to decision makers at companies large and small, and I asked them what their pain points were and what services they weren't getting from their partners. And they all came back and said the same thing. They all said, we have too much data. We don't know how to visualize it. We don't know how to interpret it. We don't know how we can use it to draw insights for our business. And I'm not a data scientist, but I, I knew we could build a business around this. So about a year ago, we made our first hires. Since then, we've been hiring about one person every month. Again, uh, no debt, no outside investors, no, no outside board. And the elevator pitch of futurity, you know, first, the idea is kind of smashing the words future and certainty together, creating the future. And the elevator pitch is, if you think about what Siri does for your house, Siri gathers data on you. So Siri knows what music you like, what you like to shop for, where you like to eat. And then Siri automates your task by predicting how you're going to behave. And that's what we do for your business. So we pour through your data, your sales data, your website data, your social media data. We bring in third-party data. We bring in employment data, census data, government data. We license data. And then from there, we can visualize it and then predict when a customer is going to need a new roof or when a customer is going to buy a new car, when a customer is going to get pregnant and want to purchase your product. Basically, anticipating that so that the marketing is there when they start looking for your products. 
And on a personal note, I got three great kids, a son and two daughters. They keep me very active. So enjoy, my son's a musician, so enjoy live music with him. Both my daughters ride horses. So we get very active with them at horse shows. And just in general, I'm a huge fan and supporter of Columbus, Ohio. Very, very, very cool. So it sounds like you might have many, but if you had to nail it down, what would you say your superpower is? <laughs> I think my superpower is connecting with people. I generally believe that I don't have the answers and that you know, one of my mentors always told me, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I've, I think if I have a gift, I can look to the market and say, here's what the market's going to need. I'm going to talk to a lot of people who understand their needs. I never fall in love with the product. I never fall in love with kind of my company or my service. I love what I do. I love business. I love entrepreneurship. I love solving problems. But I don't necessarily fall in love with the widget I'm selling, and I want to force that on the market. I say, here's what the market needs. And then I go out and I build a team around fulfilling that need. That's a really, really good point. That's one of the things that I like to call a golden nugget. You said mm -hmm. you don't fall in love with the product or the service. I guess dig a little bit deeper into that and how you, as a business person, entrepreneur, can avoid that pitfall. Sure. And I, I mentioned, you know, I get the chance to invest and consult with a lot of startups. And those are the ones when I see that, those are the ones I tend not to want to invest in or I get scared of, the ones that fell in love with their product. So I guess I'll kind of give you the negative version first is you have an entrepreneur who feels like everyone must have the problem they have. So they invent a widget to solve that problem and they don't talk to the market and they don't validate it with buyers. And when you ask them that, they say, well, I'm an accountant or I'm a realtor, or I'm a teacher, I'm the target market for this product. So I know what it's, I understand and I don't need to do that research. And then they go out, they take it to market and no one's buying it. And they love it so much, they think everyone in the market must be an idiot and all their buyers are idiots. And they try to recruit a team and they can't get a team excited around it. So they assume that the members of their employees and their team members are idiots. And so you, you get into this vicious circle of falling in love with that product and assuming that it, the rest of the world is not very smart for not embracing it. If you complete that, turn that completely around and are humble and say, I don't know what the answers are. The market's always right. I guess that's one of my golden nuggets or one thing that I probably say three times a day the market says this is the widget they want to buy and it's not your widget, the market's right and you're wrong. And if you start to build a team and the team says this is the talent and the skills that are going to fill that market and the market's buying it, the market's right, you're not right. So I think you just need to be flexible and humble enough to go in assuming that you don't know anything, assuming you're there to learn and that as an entrepreneur, that's your job. Read the market, find out what the need is, and then go find a way to fulfill it. The upside down version that I see made over and over again, the mistake I see is saying, I've got a market, I've got a solution, I've got a product, and now I'm going to go find a market for it. Let's take a quick break from this awesome conversation for a quick message from our sponsor. Seems everyone is podcasting these days, but if you want to do it right and stand out from the crowd, you need to contact Enterprise Now. eNow Podcast Solutions is second to none in providing best-in-class customer service and delivering top-quality podcast production. Podcast editing can be time-consuming and tedious. You're a podcaster. That's what you do best. Let us do the dirty work for you. Besides, it's what we do best. Then all you have to do is your awesome show. We can help with basic editing, mixing, promotion, delivery, tagging, and pro editing. Whatever you need, we can do it for you. Check us out and see all the ways we can make your podcast sound amazing and professional. Visit enterprise-now.biz slash production. Awesome, awesome advice. 
So if you had to give a couple of tips on how to overcome challenges, right? Because this it's not all sunshine and rainbows, this business thing. How do you approach challenges and how do you overcome them? Sure. You know, one is first just the realization that there's going to be challenges. You know, I think what so much of us get caught up in is we listen to an episode of How I Built This, we, or, you know, we listen to one of your podcasts. We listen, you listen to a podcast and you hear all the, the glamorous, great stuff that happens with startups. You watch a couple episodes of Shark Tank until you get excited about that. You, you have this kind of delusional idea that it's all going to go very well. But I think the first thing you do is just understand, hey, that things are going to go bad. There are going to be challenges. And then owning it. I think a lot about when you talk to entrepreneurs, and a lot of times, you statistically, your business is almost definitely going to fail, depending upon the stat you read, 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10, whatever that number is. But the idea is it's generally speaking, most new businesses fail and most entrepreneurs have to take a few swings before they, they have success. And when you talk to the ones that are back for round two and round three, and you say, what'd you learn from your first time? And they say things like, well, I would have had a great business, but my partner, they were ended up being a terrible partner and they sank the company. Or I had a great first client, but then the vice president brought in his nephew and so I lost the contract. Or the government released HIPAA, Sarbanes-Oxley, GDPR, whatever, and it sunk my business. And those things are going to happen. Those happen to every entrepreneur. And the people that fail their businesses, they think that everyone else just got lucky and those things didn't happen. We all have these changes with regulations. We all have a bad team member that goes south. We all have the client that leaves you. But if you turn that around and you say, everything that went bad, everything that we failed at, I had the power to control. So instead of saying, the government rolled out this new regulation and sunk my business, think and said, I didn't have the foresight to see that this change was coming in legislation. And so I didn't modify my business to prepare for it. That's really empowering when you can say that to yourself, because it means next time with your next business, you're gonna be watching for that. Or instead of saying the VP threw us out and hired his nephew's company, say, I didn't have the networking skills to have better contacts beyond the VP of marketing at this company. And so he was able to throw me out. So I think one, just knowing those changes are going to happen Two, really owning them. And, you know, sometimes and I'm very much a, I'm a self-professed Gen Xer, Midwesterner, small town, blue collar background. And so it, I'm very much wired to say when lots of challenges get thrown at you, it doesn't mean you stop trying. It means you try harder. It means you work harder. And I'm very much an, an advocate of you own it, having this almost delusional belief that if you work hard enough, you can overcome it and then getting out there and facing them head on. Nice. I definitely see how, as you're saying, owning the challenges and perspective is huge. Statistically speaking, your business will <laughs> fail. That's a powerful thing to even say, right? Because right. most people think, like you said, I'm going to start a business. It's going to be great. It's going to work. But as you said, statistically speaking, and numbers are really cruel in that they don't lie. <laughs> right. Statistically speaking, you're probably not going to make it. And it, but it's about perspective and how you adjust. That's really awesome. So I often say, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I have to say that by default, entrepreneurs must be bad at math because you almost definitely won't make it. <laughs> if you look at the numbers, I know the like the SBA publishes their numbers, but when you look just in venture and investor backed companies, I think something like 70% fail in the first 15 months of getting their first round of funding. So these are the ones that actually made it far enough to get an investor and most of them fail. So 
but you don't take that perspective and think I'm going to fail. Think of that and realize I'm going to anticipate all the reasons why these companies fail, and then I'm going to do something about it so I don't fail. Gotcha. So if you, speaking of failure and kind of building on that, how do you, what are some of your keys to success? Sure. You know, I think one, surrounding yourself just with the best team that you possibly can. Yeah, I've said it before about not being the smartest person in the room, but you really, you have to believe that. You have to really build a great team around you. You have to be humble enough to know that you want better people than you around you. So again, I mentioned futurity. Our focus now is data science, data analytics. You know, I barely got by in my statistics class with a pass-fail class, but I'm smart enough to know, let's go out and find really great data scientists and let's get them on board and have them be part of the team. I think having that, just those really smart people around you, I think is important. I think always listening to the market. When I put on my investor hat, I look at what companies I invest in or, or even part of an angel group. And as soon as the companies that pitch leave the room, for any of you listening out there who are out there pitching angel groups and pitching for investment, they don't talk about your product. It's not about your product because your product's going to change. Whatever product you pitch to them will not be the product you take to market because you're going to learn a lot of stuff. And so I'll talk to startup entrepreneurs and they'll say, oh, I didn't get the investment because my product doesn't integrate with Salesforce or something like that. That's not the reason. The first thing entrepreneurs look or investors look at is what's the team like? Are you coachable? Do you want to learn? Are you hungry? Are you humble? Are you willing to put in the time and listen? Or are you just there for a check? So that's the first thing to bring that attitude. And the second is have a really good business model. So the product may come and go, but if you've got a really good business model and can manage that, I think you can be very, very successful as well. The other thing is I think you need to think big and high impact stuff. I've heard it said before, don't think about input, think about output. So I talk to people who say they work 12 and 14 and 18 hour days, but that's a focus on your input. You should measure what's your output. How much are you producing? Are you generating sales? Are you building a team? Are you great building a great product? And I see this mistake all the time where investors or entrepreneurs will they buy and or lease the nicest office space in the city. They go and they buy the most expensive furniture and the laptops and they spend all the money on the logo and they do all that before they get a single client. And and almost without exception, I've seen those. They never make it. They fail, you know, within a year. The really scrappy ones, the ones that work out at kind of dumpy offices or or literally their garage, the ones that work their day job until they get their first paying client in the door, the ones that surround themselves with a team that also believes in the cause, those are the ones that I see being very successful. So think about the biggest impact. There's a poster in our office of Godzilla. And I use that as an example because Godzilla is not about finesse. It's not about subtlety. It's about winning big impacts, smashing buildings, right? Knocking down airplanes. Same thing in your business world. Think about how can I, if I have this money to invest and I can either grant really nice office space, or I can use it to get a prototype to market and win my first client or invest in a great sales team that can get selling, but we're still going to work out of the Panera bread. That's okay. Like focus on that too. So, so yeah, I would say those are a few of the things. Just think big, build a really smart team, make sure that you're solving a, a problem people are willing to pay for. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome advice. If folks want to reach out to you, Bill, how can they do that? Sure. The best way is to visit futurity.com. So that's F-U-T-U-R-E-T-Y.com. My contact information is there. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. So very easy to find in all of those places. Cool. So thanks again, Bill, for taking the time to talk with us. I know I have a couple of pages of notes on here, particularly your advice on pitching to Angel Group. A lot of the things that you said are 
obviously dead on because you are an awesome entrepreneur business owner because you're on the Enterprise Now show. And that's what we do. We bring awesome entrepreneurs that share knowledge and wisdom that help add value and and launch, grow, and maximize. That's what we do. And you're part of that, Bill. So thank you for your time and your insight. Great. Well, I'm honored to be a part of it. I love your podcast. You've turned me into a regular listener, so I appreciate it. Awesome. So enterprisers, I know, again, I say this almost every week, not every week, but almost every week. Another awesome episode with tons and tons and tons of golden nuggets and insights from another awesome entrepreneur. So go head on out to the website, connect with us. We want to know that we are adding value to you. So let us know how we're doing. Let us know what we could do to better serve you because that's why we exist. We want to add value to you so that you can launch, grow, and maximize. I could not do what I do without you guys. So thank you so much. And we will talk with you guys next week. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net. I want to start a conversation around these areas of business and how we can work together and help each other shine even brighter.